1: What's doing? Not a lot. What are you up to? I am uh, just finishing emails because this podcast is not the most important thing. Really? To me. Yeah. Just wait on. Just these podcasts in general or this one? Um, I'm so distracted. I don't even know what the question is. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're so generous to our guests.
1: The, uh, do we have a guest today? I think we do. Why can't we just have a alone time?
0: We could, but you know, this we have Kyle on with us uh,
1: very soon. So I don't even know a Kyle. Kyle Samani. That's right. I am a uh, investor in their crypto. I call it a hedge fund. That is my exposure. Other than being an investor in Robinhood and Netoro, that's. Basically, my a small Coinbase account. I don't know my password in case anybody wants to put a gun to my head. I have no idea what my password is. <laughs> <laughs> if I remember it one day, I'll have money. If not, I've written it off. There's no point trying to force you to tell them that. The, the most bullish case for crypto is I forgot my password, which means it's going to be worth <laughs> infinity. And I'm going to, it's going to be like 80 years old, just like, just staring, screaming at, at the walls, going, eh, God damn you, Coinbase, you're my password. All right, I'm going to stop doing email. All right, please. I find that doing email while I do a podcast does not make my podcast better. I think you're right about that. All right. Kyle Samani, we're going to get him around the phone. How's your day? It's good. Thank we, you. We may have dinner tonight, huh? That sounds like a plan. I'll check
0: not with the we'll wife. Not that we'll talk
1: about the podcast, because I don't want it to be any more organized than it already is. Why should it? And I'm trying to think what else. I'm taking a week off. Yes, you are. The... Uh, it was so tough for you to come back here to Phoenix. You have to take a week off. Yeah, I just sniffed. I just snotted myself. <laughs> I just drank my own COVID, as they say. The uh, Let's get Kyle on the phone. We're going to talk crypto. All right, I'll call him up. Kyle. Hey, Howard. What's up? How's Austin?
0: Austin is, the weather is beautiful. Fall arrived early this year. Uh, the zombie apocalypse has cleared. It was kind of bad in like July, August, and it's now pretty nice. And like life is 70% normal. I'll go with
1: with 70%. That's not bad.
0: Um, you know, bars are open in a restaurant mode, so you can't go stand at the bar and order drinks, but they have table service.
1: You're a young guy. What do you miss the most?
0: What do I miss the most? Uh, I would say going bar hopping with friends and just bouncing between bars i I am single uh and so i enjoy going out with my buddies drinking and bar hopping especially now that it's football season sundays are amazing
1: so this hour this uh, no not an hour because i'll run out of bitcoin stuff to say in 10 minutes you won't the um i want to talk about crypto crypto strategies DeFi, Web3, some wild predictions, because why not? I rarely do that on the show, and the show's about trends. So seeing that I have capital with you and I've introduced other friends to you, and I don't still truly understand decentralization. So, you know, if I don't understand it, I want to try and learn, but by osmosis. So I want to just cover the topics that are near and dear to you, which is, you know, crypto, strategies... Opportunity for DeFi and Web3 and some wild predictions we'll throw in there. So tell people qualifications, what you do for a living now.
0: Uh I mean I'm not sure I'm qualified to do good what point. I do, but good
1: point. None of us are. <laughs>
0: uh, but I, I like like to try anyways. Um so I am my founder and managing partner at uh Multicoin Capital. We are an investment firm based in Austin, Texas. Uh and we invest exclusively in crypto things. Uh, we invest in companies building in the crypto space. And much more fun, and interestingly, we invest in tokens. Um, You've probably heard of Bitcoin. Maybe you've heard of Ethereum. There's a whole wild west of tokens beyond that. Uh, And actually, we spend most of our time thinking about the other wild tokens. Uh, We run two funds today, a hedge fund and a venture fund. The hedge fund invests in the stuff that's on coinmarketcap.com, is kind of generally the investable universe. Um, And then our venture fund invests in private companies and teams that have not yet launched a token that will hopefully soon be on coinmarketcap.com. Um, we spend all of our time doing fundamental research and thesis formation and digging and thinking. We like writing. We have a blog on our website where you can see lots of that fun stuff. And, uh, we invest in pretty wild, wild stuff,
1: wild stuff. So you you even call it wild stuff. Why do you use that term?
0: I mean, a lot of the things we invest in on the surface, like don't make sense. And if you like rewire your brain and, and kind of invert it, then it starts to make sense. Um, and hopefully it will make a lot of sense in the future. But for now, at least, apparently it doesn't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So that's why I would call a lot of the stuff we invest in wild.
1: Give me an example of something new, new, new. And then we're going to go backwards and then we'll end on new, new, new. Give me an example of something new today that that uh, is on the frontier of crypto and decentralization.
0: All right. Let's talk about one of our favorite investments and also one of our largest. Okay. Uh, it is called Helium. The website is helium.com. Okay. Helium presents a new business plan or a new business model for how to deploy and manage a wireless network. So like, what does that mean? Um, so like if you're AT&T or Verizon or a telecom and you want to deploy a network in a city or for that matter, a country, what would you do? And like you'd look at a map of the city and you'd say, you know, I want to put some towers in these places. You'd call up the people who own the land. You'd rent the land from them. Then you'd send a bunch of guys out with hard hats, build a bunch of towers you know, run a bunch of backhaul, do all that stuff. That's pretty expensive. Um, And then you would build a massive marketing arm, run a bunch of commercials on television, build a massive retail storefront presence, and build a massive customer service and billing system. And then you raise, you know, 10, 20, 30, $40 billion of debt uh, to fund all of that. And then you amortize that over like a decade with a bunch of recurring revenues from selling subscriptions to your network, right? That's kind of how a telecom works. Um, What if you could do the opposite of that? Um, and that's what helium is. And so in the helium vision, a consumer just buys a little hotspot, um, at home, like we have three, four 500 bucks. Actually, I think the newest ones are 250 now. Um, and it looks like a little router, a little box with an antenna on the back and you plug it in the wall, electricity and ethernet. And, uh, that little hotspot makes radio waves and any device walking around nearby that wants to use the internet can jump on your, your radio waves, um, and access the internet And they pay you, as the hotspot owner, per byte of data that they transmit. And so that's kind of the new model. And if you think about this new model, there's a few really interesting characteristics about this. One is, there is no single owner over the network. There isn't a company that owns the network. The the network is owned and operated by lots and lots of people. Um, Second interesting thing is that you just remove a huge percentage of the cost from the system. All of the labor cost is gone. All of the backhaul cost is gone. All of the physical construction cost is gone. All the physical overhead is gone. You literally take the cost out of the system, um, and so we, we think this is just kind of a, a radically new new model for how to deploy network. Um, and so that's what Helium is. I'll, I'll pause there. We can kind of ask some meta questions that we can get into kind of where it is today.
1: And let's now go backwards, if that's okay. All right. To like the fun and what got you excited first in crypto.
0: Okay. So how did I get into crypto? Uh, I guess my kind of quick story. Uh, so, born and raised in Austin, my dad's computer scientist. I've been around computers my whole life. I went to NYU to study finance, thinking I wanted to go down the finance career track. Uh, in college, I realized my passion was tech startups, and so after college, I started my first tech company. I was 23. This was May of 2013, and I started a company called Pristine. Pristine built software for Google Glass for surgeons. I know Google Glass was kind of a silly consumer product. But it was actually a very interesting tool for surgeons because surgeons are gloved up. They are sterile. They work with their hands. So we built software. It was one of the few use cases for Glass that actually made any sense. So we built software for surgeons, grew, raised a venture, grew to accumulate revenue, uh, and then Google killed Google Glass, uh, which, as you might imagine, was a minor problem for my business. Mm-hmm. Um, pivoted the company after that, and the company was ultimately acquired in a very small little acquisition for IP and talent. And then I needed to find something new to do with my life. Uh, Come March 2016, I discovered this thing called Ethereum, and Ethereum is what really pulled me into crypto. Uh, In particular, I was drawn to the fact that uh, it was this decentralized network that was completely open and that there was no single person who controlled the network and that therefore could take it away from me or arbitrarily change the rules. Given my experiences with Glass, I understood the pain of platform risk in a very real way and was very excited about the idea of building on top of a platform that was completely censorship resistant um, and unchangeable. And so that kind of was my, my itch that got me into crypto. And then over the course of the next year, I started reading about it more, learning about it, investing my own money. And by the spring of 2017, uh, couldn't think about anything other than crypto. And so I made the decision in May of 17 to launch Multicoin. We launched our hedge fund on October 1st of 2017, and we added our venture fund in July of 2018.
1: There were some tough, dark months. I, I, I've been an investor. I think I maybe Vinny introduced us and then, You have some great, I think that's right. You have some great investors from union square to Andreessen, uh, people that, uh, spend a lot of time in this sector, but are looking to also learn. It seems like we're like, it's kind of like a educational slash speculative slash building slash frontier slash. What do we know now? What, what do we, what do we absolutely know about crypto that you can't deny?
0: Yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to answer this question about going back in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think most people who are to this podcast kind of generally take for granted that financial markets are like reasonably efficient and like reasonably well-regulated and there's not like too much unscrupulous activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but if you go back in time, about hundred years or so, back to 1920s-ish era, um, financial markets were very unregulated and there was all kinds of unscrupulous behavior. Uh, some of the most famous people in American history were very well known for doing that guys like Mr. JP Morgan and a lot of his buddies. And um, you know, we created all these rules and regulations because folks did a lot of things that were not, not the best. And uh, over the years, we kind of, you know, the market's matured. And crypto is kind of like going back in time hundred years uh, except it's all electronic and now it's all global. There's no regulations, or are very few. Um, and it's the wild west, you got a lot of money you got media coverage. You got social media. It's all electronic and instant, global. It's twenty four seven, and you you see like a lot of just things that are like classic stuff from you know fifteen hundred years ago. Keeps happening over and over again. So it, it's a really amazing kind of taste of like what is an unregulated financial market. Um, and I don't mean that like we're doing bad things, but it's just you observe the market and you're like, wow, like this is.
1: What it was like 100 years ago okay i love that so so it's it's just the digital reincarnation of like the 19 early 1900 stock market where the ticker tape is now coming at you for instead of one ticker tape there's a bazillion as digital and instead of like 10 companies there's thousands you know or their tokens now and there's a bit of everything there's you know there's people trying to create some semblance of rules and but yeah, it's global and it's, it's mobile and it's media and it's social right from day one. So that's a good, that's a good explanation to get people set for this interview. And how did you, let's talk about the last few years, like what has happened in crypto, you know, over the last few years, both in terms of the tech and market structure. Cause you know, since 17 and the, and the tokens crashed, like, what do you see has happened? Cause it's kind of like 2000, the it's like. Cryptos 2000 came in 2017.
0: Yeah. So let me kind of provide some, some kind of context here. So January 2009, this anonymous dude on the internet, Satoshi Nakamoto, releases Bitcoin. Um, and like it takes a few years for it to, I mean, I mean, it basically was like running on fumes for the first couple of years, but it like doesn't die. Uh, by 2012, 2013, it starts kind of getting popular-ish among like certain circles, like libertarian circles and certain like economic circles, especially like folks in the Austrian economics camp because it, like, espouses a lot of those ideologies. Um, starts kind of picking up there. People, there kind of starts to be real global communities talking about Bitcoin. Uh, there's this kid who was 16 years old or so at the time. His uh, name is Vitalik Buterin. He founds a thing called Bitcoin Magazine because he thinks Bitcoin is super cool, starts writing about it. Very good writer. Um, a few years later, 2014 or so, he uh, was like, hey, there the people started experimenting in this 2012-2014 time frame taking the ideas in Bitcoin, the core technical ideas around decentralization and censorship resistance, and they started trying to apply them to other problem areas. So things like uh, decentralized DNS and like more advanced financial contracts and stuff like that. Bitcoin really does one thing. It just lets you move money from point A to point B. It doesn't really do anything else. But the ideas in Bitcoin, if you just tweak them a little bit, you can see how it gets more interesting. The problem with Bitcoin was that um, in order to tweak it, you have to basically create a whole new system from scratch. Um, and that's a lot of work dealing with consensus and virtual machines and a whole bunch of other problems. Uh, and so Vitalik kind of observed this behavior over the you know, 2012 to 2014 timeframe, and he said, what if we create a new blockchain that's designed to be programmable from the ground up so that if you want to do any more in one of these other types of novel applications, you can do so uh, and not have to worry about all these lower level problems. And, and so like this is like a common theme you see through like, the history of computing you know, operating systems like abstract low-level stuff. So that programmers don't have to program low-level stuff, right? Like this is a common theme. So this thing he invents is called Ethereum, launches it in 2015 and comes out and people have no idea what to do with it. Um, It's like cool has these things called smart contracts. No one really knows what to do with smart contracts. Um, The kind of general pitch was smart contracts give you autonomous code that is gonna execute as it's written and no one humans can stop it. And that's kind of it. Like no one knew what to do with it, but it was just a cool idea. Um, And over the course of 2016 and 2017, people started to run experiments and play with stuff and try and do things and started coming up with applications and stuff to do. Um, And so in 2017, this kind of excitement really builds up in a big way. And the first real application that takes off is actually fundraising for new speculative crypto use cases. Uh, Those are otherwise known as ICOs. So this massive bubble happens in 2017 with a nice crescendo in Q4 of 2017. Uh, I think the market peaked like January 15th or something, that was 2018. And and so through this time, obviously venture capital and Silicon Valley and everyone starts getting, you know, looking around and being like, okay, what is this thing? How does it work and start paying attention. Um, and at this time, a lot of the smartest engineers in the world in cryptography and distributed systems and database, database systems all started looking at Ethereum saying, okay, this smart contracting seems important, but Ethereum as it's currently designed is not gonna scale to support a large number of users. Ethereum supports somewhere on the order of 15 to 20 transactions per second, which is clearly not going to support anything at, at global scale. Um, and so they're all sort of working on kind of new approaches to to solving the scaling problem for blockchains. Um, and so a ton of venture money over the course of 20, 18 basically went into new scaling solutions. And there's all kinds of ways to approach the scaling problem, different trade-offs, all of these systems. So a bunch of money went into these things. We invested in a bunch of them, Andreessen invested in a bunch of them, a whole bunch of my peers invested in a bunch of these things. Um, and those things have now over the last 12 months started to ship. Um, and, and so over this time we went into this brutal bear market as like, you know, we had these crazy high expectations. We realized in 2018, none of it worked. Meanwhile, the VCs started funding this kind of big infrastructure to scale. Um, that stuff took longer to ship than everyone was expecting. So expectations were let down market just crashed over the course of 2018 uh, and got like pretty dark at the end of 18 and early 19. It was like Bitcoin was sub 4,000. Um, and then it's been kind of slowly rebounding since then. Uh, and now we have this new wave of infrastructure uh, that's all working now, kind of, sort of, it's not perfect, but it's pretty close. And now we're, we actually have folks building kind of next generation uh, of software applications on top of these smart contract systems. Uh, and so that's kind of where we are today.
1: Yeah, that was very good. Very helpful. Um, Can you, you following along here? Absolutely. So it's good to get a history of this. So so that's where we are today. So, so I keep hearing the buzzwords and I love, I love, I mean, I just hate the marketing, the Bitcoin, not that I'm a great marketing, but Bitcoins and Satoshis and it's just like this kind of elitist, weird, uh, just like regular markets. No one wants to educate people, right? It's just like, you know, no one wants to take the time to truly slow down like you're doing and like, there's a history here, right? Like anything, there's a history to this. Um, you know, I hear these terms now like DeFi and web 3.0, what's the opportunity there? What does that mean?
0: E- yeah. So each of those, those are big loaded words with lots of subtext and, and other things. So let me kind of touch on each of them separately. Um, but by the way, we, uh, we wrote an essay on our website. We call it our crypto mega So Go to our website at the top, it says thesis, click that. Can read more about the, each of these topics. And
1: that's a multi coin um, multi coin.com or multi coin
0: capital. Multi capital. Got it. Yeah, their website. So, uh all right, so let's talk about DeFi first. So, um if you actually if you watch the original YouTube video where Vitalik unveiled Ethereum this is January of 2014. Um it's like a 20-minute video and you only have to watch it for 7 minutes or something. But he like walks through examples of like look, wouldn't it be cool if you could have a contract where you have people who want to like take on leverage with like some derivative. Um, And you have two people just engage in like a a CFD or a contract for difference. And like, they can do this and like you can write the contract and it, you know, has these parameters and people put the money in and then the system is guaranteed to resolve the contract correctly. And you don't have to rely on a bank or a bookie or whoever it is in the middle to like intermediate the contract and resolve the contract. You don't have to worry about someone being, you know, over levered or whatever, getting wiped out and being caught naked. And so um, what's interesting is that was kind of the first type of use case that that Vitalik proposed. Um, Fast forward to today, we have a whole like ecosystem now of financial primitives that exist on the blockchain. So um, like think of kind of any, basically whether you use interactive brokers or JP Morgan or your bank or Robinhood, it doesn't matter. But like you use any of these things and like they all have what I'll call financial primitives of various forms that you can use, right? You can like lever up and you can borrow money uh, you can maybe get an unsecured loan, you can get a loan against your house versus equities and there's like different margin requirements for those. Um, there's obviously, you can buy options, There's futures markets, right? There's all of these different, i call it just financial constructions of like ways to do things. Um, and like typically when you as a, whether a consumer or, or a fund, um, you know, buy or sell any of these things, there's typically some firm in the middle somewhere doing something. Like there's an exchange probably where, you know, like assets... Are, and people, things are being traded. You might have like a prime broker in the middle who provides leverage and these other kinds of funny things and offsets risk and whatever. Right? like there's all this like cruft in the middle of like ultimately you have a buyer and a seller of some form of risk. Um, and all those people in the middle are all taking a tiny cut of that transaction, right? And we you know, you trade hundred trillion dollars a day and you know, everyone's taking a little cut and you got, you know, called tens of billions to hundreds of billions of dollars every year flowing to just like middlemen who like insert fees. And of course those middlemen like can do other bad things, but just they're annoying because it takes fees. And so the, the power of DeFi is that basically you can replace 100% of those middlemen with smart contracts, where it's just a piece of code. The code lives on the blockchain. Um, the code has r- some rules written in it. And those, all of these rules are enforced cryptographically and those rules specify how does money in the system interact. Um, and so the very simple example is you and I engage in a CFD Um, like the price of Tesla or whatever. You and I can bet on the outcome of a sports game or the Super Bowl or the election. These are all kind of simple financial primitives. What's really cool about DeFi is that all of these financial primitives are being built by independent entrepreneurs, that they all do different things. And then they all interoperate organically because they all use the same token standard. Um, Just like in the same way, like, you know, you have Gmail and I have whatever Outlook, right? The emails go back and forth. In the same way, you have a token standard, um, and all of these systems talk the same token standard, and so you can take any asset and move it between any of these systems, and it all just works magically. Um, and the cool thing is, in none of these systems, there's no counterparty risk of any form. There's no middleman. It's all 100% peer-to-peer, um, and you get all the benefits of pooling capital and and you know all these things. And it all just works, and it's 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 pretty fucking magical actually that it works. Like it's it's pretty wild.
1: And what does Web three mean?
0: So. I think I have a different definition of Web3 than probably many of my peers. I think the traditional purist definition of Web3 would be something along the lines of you, Google and Facebook own your data today, and instead and tomorrow, you should own your own data. Um, and that's like the, the simplistic instantiation of, of what Web3 kind of represents. Um, I think of Web3 a little bit more broadly um, of the set of technologies that enable you to have different kinds of... Trust minimized applications. So helium is an example of that, where previously we all have to trust AT&T and Verizon to uh, you know like run the network and, and do all these things. And now in the helium network, it's a, we all collectively create a network that actually works, and we all can't screw each other and do some other weird things. Um, and so I think about Web three is kind of just like the broad range of of trust minimized activities. I'll consider DeFi a subset of Web three in, in that sense. Uh, and there's a lot of, a lot of weird and interesting. Web3 applications. Um, they, they're they stuff in media, in telecom infrastructure. I'm sure there's going to be all kinds of other things that I'm not even aware of yet. But it's just using this kind of new technical framework to rethink old problems.
1: How many hedge funds do you think they're out there, like crypto hedge funds?
0: The headline number from Bloomberg is like, I don't know, a thousand or something.
1: And are but they U.S. The or are they much. more Korean? Where, where is most of the activity?
0: Um. I'm assuming Bloomberg is talking about I S I don't, you know, I don't even know how registration for hedge funds like works and other, you know, geos. Um, so I'm assuming that's a U.S. centric number, um, in terms of like trading and there's, look, there's different types of funds and like there's different places to trade. What's amazing in crypto actually is I, I, I think the substantial majority of both dollars and humans, uh, who own crypto and trade crypto are not in the United States. Um, they are, I think primarily in China, uh, and to some degree, Asian and you know, Singapore and Korea, uh, Japan, but, but primarily China. And why do you um, think, that is, do you think that is
1: culture? I mean, the government, why do you think that is?
0: So a uh, couple of reasons. One, the, all of the largest exchanges are in are in Asia. The top four exchanges, the top three exchanges are in mainland China and the number four exchanges in Hong Kong. Okay. Coinbase is number five <laughs> for a sense of context. Um, so they're all over there. Second reason is U.S. regulations. Um, Coinbase made a very smart decision early on that they were going to comply with us laws and regulations. Um, and that was a good move for them. And they have like, they almost own the U S retail crypto market, um, which is a great place to be. And none of those four guys, uh, Binance, Huobi, okay. Or FTX have any meaningful presence in the United States. So you have this very clear divide between kind of I'll call it regulated and unregulated crypto. Um, and, uh, it turns out the unregulated market is exponentially larger than the regulated market. Um, and folks all over the world trade on these other venues and they are they, they go they do much more volume than Coinbase does both spot and derivatives
1: and yeah i'm looking at binance right now 27 yeah i mean it's done well so what types of crypto strategies like what is it the same as financial strategies long short or like what what are some of the crypto strategies that uh, excite you
0: yeah i mean so so one of the reasons to be acceptable, well there's like I call it the beta reasons to be excited about crypto. So like you believe in digital gold and everything money is bad and you like Bitcoin. There's, I believe in defined web three. And like, those are, are like beta fundamental long-term beliefs, um, which that attracts a fair number of people to the space. Um, the opportunities for alpha in crypto are also very interesting because there's, there's so many different kinds of market inefficiencies. Um, typically people use the word inefficiency. I think they refer primarily to mechanical ineffic- inefficiencies and there's lots of those all over the place in crypto. I mean, there's, there's spot futures, ARBs everywhere. There's like index construction ARBs everywhere. Um, just like venues, like geo and venue ARBs everywhere. There's tons of, tons of that stuff. Um, and a lot of stat ARB and and those things. So there's lots of funds that do that stuff and they don't really care what they're trading. Um, and they're picking up lots of money on the ground. Um, and then there's folks like us who are kind of fundamental research based and spend all of our time thinking and banging our head on, on the wall, um, and occasionally buying and selling things. Um, and then there's momentum folks. So folks who are just trading on technicals and, you know, like we're writing momentum and looking at leverage ratios in the system and stuff like that. So there's all kinds of strategies. They're all out there. They all perform well at different points in time. Um, I, I would say the first class of, of things I just described, that that space has become uh, quite competitive. Uh, for example, Jump Capital is, you know, widely known, Jump Trading is widely known to be like either the largest market maker or second largest market maker in crypto across all the major venues. And obviously they're running tons of ARBs and you know, Jump is one of the most sophisticated trading organizations in the world, um, and they are a large participant in crypto. Uh, to my knowledge, like Two Two Sigma and Citadel and, and Renaissance and those guys are not competing with with Jump and those or Jane Street and those guys are not competing in this in this market. At least not to the scale Jump is. Jump is probably ten to twenty percent of total crypto volumes, wow. um, if not more. Wow. Um, so so that that class of stuff is is you need to be a, a large prop shop with tons of resources to compete. Um, but then. You know, momentum trading stuff. And then also kind of fundamental research is like Wild West. And there's lots of folks like, like ourselves who play in that world.
1: And and yeah, I love the research at Multicoin. You know, I dig into it and I try and catch up with it because you guys are prolific at, at big ideas. It's still, unfortunately, feels like coding. I like companies, I like doing fundamentals, but I've never been into like, you know, hardcore strategy. I keep it really simple. So the most interesting part to me would be some prediction since you know, you've given us a history. Um, obviously you guys have done well, like considering it's been pretty much a bear market since you started. Would you consider it a bear market since you started?
0: We started October 1st of 17th. So our first three months were, were fantastic. And then it was a solid 18 months of pain.
1: Solid 18 months. Yeah. And now your high water marks are met. I, I just caught up with my, my stuff. So I feel like you're in the, you're in the red or black. What do we, what would you call it?
0: We're definitely in the black. We, I mean, we've, we've made plenty of money. It's just the, your, t- your timing um, is obviously a big determinant of, of that.
1: Yep. And so how many people now at uh, Multicoin?
0: Uh, we have 10 full-time. Uh, most of us are in Austin. We've got one in New York. And we have one in Hangzhou, China. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name is Mabel. And uh, Hangzhou is kind of the epicenter of crypto engineering in China.
1: That's cool. And um, so let's get to the fun part, predictions. So what, give me some wild predictions for the next few years.
0: Um, so I'm not a fan of, of price predictions, but those, those I'm not very good at those. I, I've learned that I'm not a very good trader. Yep. But uh, I'll give you some other fun predictions. I think by the end of next year, most of the listeners of your podcast will have heard of and be at least generally familiar with some retail use case for crypto that like, they understand and like it makes sense to them even if they're not a user of the product or service
1: canute give me a standing ovation soundtrack finally. do you think we're finally gonna have a netscape moment besides looking at the price and a chart
0: um i i don't know if it's gonna be a netscape moment but it's definitely gonna be at least something that like your listeners will be like okay i get it they may not fully understand why it needs crypto but like it does need crypto to work and they'll be like okay that's cool not for me but like it's reasonable uh, I think that will happen by the end of 2021. I think it will be generally acknowledged among U.S. you know retail investors.
1: And who would that be good for? The price of Bitcoin and Ethereum or something different?
0: It's going to be good for the price of the token of whatever <laughs> that thing is. Okay. We have some some bets in place of what we think that thing will be. Okay. So it's, um, it,
1: it'll move the token because Binance moved directly with the idea that that is an exchange that's large uh it's risky but it's large and the volume's high so you're saying that whatever when this mainstreamish or retail thing happens whatever tokens associated that will see an explosion
0: yeah for sure As it becomes clear that there's going to be a very high profile consumer application of crypto that is understandable by the masses uh, i would believe that uh, that asset will become very overpriced relative to any semblance of fundamentals
1: right just like what happened in 2017 with Litecoin Correct. and ethereum, et cetera. So is there any ideas on what you think that feature will be, or that product or that retail thing would be?
0: Um, we have a couple of bets in the portfolio. We'll see if those, those play out. Can There's you talk about it? That, um, so helium is one of them.
1: Oh, right. Right. You um, already talked about it. Yeah.
0: Talked about that one. Um, I'll, I'll leave it at that one and let the, uh, let your, let your listeners, uh, dig around crypto and and do their own do their own homework
1: and what and what got you excited about how did helium come to you
0: uh so the founder i I wrote a blog post in in 2017 i think it was called understanding token velocity um and it it kind of became one of the kind of foundational i think forms of thinking in in the space among crypto investors about how to think about value capture for tokens um and and there was a common idea in 2017 that you can create a token and that like this Thing is going to solve a problem connecting supply and demand for some service in some new way, facilitated by a blockchain somehow that's like better than before. And in order to transact, you would transact using all of these different tokens. And so these different tokens would act as a medium of exchange or act as a form of money. And uh, I, I was like the first one who really like wrote out why this is a dumb, bad idea. It actually wasn't that brilliant of a, of a uh, observation, but it was like the overwhelming Uh, market consensus at the time that that was the correct thing to do. And I was the person who said, no, it's not, it's dumb. Um, And so I wrote this this essay and uh, the founder of Helium, his name is Mir. uh, He was working on a token for his new wireless network thing. And he's like, you know, I think I am going to launch a token and my token is going to be a medium of exchange. And uh, I think your essay has convinced me otherwise. (laughs) And so he just emailed me and was like, Hey man, I like your essay. If we're ever in San Francisco, let's hang out. So, (laughs) do that's you how it happens.
1: all right i love that bitcoin itself what do people what's the thing on that people don't understand about it that you know because you you know you ask you know, whether it's pomp or, or or people very vocal on twitter or or just generalists like me and that's the brand we know what what could go wrong there
0: uh, well, what can you, like, you said, What what is what do they not know about Bitcoin that they should understand and yeah. that, what can go wrong? So those are two separate questions. Okay. So let me take each of those. Thanks. So I I think the most important thing about Bitcoin that is not widely understood is um, I, I think Bitcoin is the strongest instantiation of property rights of anything you can find on the planet Earth. Um, like if you think about carrying something in your wallets or a piece of gold or a rock or jewelry or clothing or whatever. Like at some point it's pretty easy for someone on the street to like mug you and run away with it mm-hmm. You're thinking about like your house or equities or anything of that nature um you know like militias and those kinds of things can throw you out of your own home and, and riots and all those kinds of things like can actually right be a fundamental infringement on your property rights in ways that you can't really forecast um bitcoin you can memorize a number or a password in your head and you can take a billion dollars with you anywhere you want to own the world um and it is absent uh, apps, apps someone putting a gun to your head and saying give me your password. And knowing that you have, you know, that money that like, it is actually impossible to get that money out of you. Um, and so I, I do not think there is a single thing you can find on the planet earth that has a, a stronger set of property rights than Bitcoin. Um, and so if you told me, if, you know, there's a common thing of like, oh, the government's going to ban Bitcoin, it can't be regulated and whatever. And like inevitably that lawsuit's going to come up somewhere somehow, you know, some federal you know, agency somewhere is going to try and do this somewhere and it's going to go to court and it's going to go up to the Supreme Court. And I, I'm guessing the argument that some lawyer is going to make is going to be one of property rights because the United States has a very strong history of, of enforcing property rights. Um, and uh, Bitcoin is, I think, the uh, strongest instantiation we have of property rights.
1: Okay, that's cool. So that's the one yeah. question.
0: Well, the second one was, how does this all go wrong?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, so like crypto is like super volatile. Like tomorrow, like Trump could tweet, Bitcoin is illegal, right? Like, then he probably will tweet that tomorrow for all I know. Um, similarly, like you can imagine, like there's going to be a news, a news article, like terrorist attack financed by Bitcoin. Like again, that, that's going to be a news headline at some point. It's right. going to fail to mention that most terrorist attacks are funded by dollars, but you know, that's going to be a news headline like at some, at some point. Um, so you're going to have all of these kinds of big, scary things that are going to happen and the price will go down a lot very quickly when, when these things happen. Um, but what, what's actually amazing about crypto is that like, that's not going to kill it. And if you look at the history of crypto, like it should have died like a few times, like in 2013, when Mt. Gox, which was a big exchange back then died, like crypto, like Bitcoin could have gone to zero. Um, in 2017, China banned Bitcoin. It's actually technically still banned, but could have gone to zero. India banned it and recently unbanned it. Um, at this point, it's actually pretty hard to see how it goes to zero there's there's a a, a good chance it stays what I'll, I'll call as broadly irrelevant like i'll argue crypto is still irrelevant on a global basis but um I, I don't think it's gonna go to zero anymore i think the probability of that is is effectively none um and i think the biggest risk today is that like you know bitcoin is the flag is the face of crypto um and bitcoin just does one thing it's just a, it's just a rock you put it on your mattress it just sits there it doesn't do anything um and some people think that that's a feature and some people think that's a bug um, the people who, who think it's it's a feature are the people who say fiat money is bad and government printing is bad and inflation and Jerome Powell said we can go over two percent and oh it's all scary new world and bonds yield zero what are we going to do with the sixty forty portfolio and like these are all very rational things to say and believe and you know maybe those things drive large amounts of new money into Bitcoin I- I'm not sure um, but maybe people just say yeah we don't care we'll just invest in equities and productive assets and we don't like the idea of buying a rock this is under the mattress I don't I don't know right like. I don't have a good sense of how to think about that. I have, a, I have a generally pretty good feeling that I think all of the ideological dollars in the world are maxed out on crypto. So like anyone with like a strong sense of libertarian leanings or Austrian leanings or anything else that would draw you to Bitcoin, like I think 100% of those dollars are in crypto now and they're fully vested to whatever degree it is they, they choose to be vested. So at this point, you have to now get non-ideological dollars into crypto. Uh, and that seems to be harder than I think most people would have previously considered
1: do you own bitcoin
0: uh i do own a lot of bitcoin
1: and are you okay with where bitcoin's been cornered for now
0: i mean i i, I mean I'm, I'm okay with it i'd say the longer it takes to break 20k i think that's probably a bad sign i don't think that's like a uh, sign that it's not going to make new highs but the fact that it's been having so much trouble to break 20k which is the previous all-time high um i'd say it's concerning and i think i think it, I think it is probably the best macro indicator for my theory that all the ideological dollars are maxed out and that the non-ideological dollars don't care
1: hang on one more time so, the, oh, so what does that mean i'm just trying to think that through again because that's important
0: yeah so i, I think today something approaching 100 of ideological dollars in the world that are people who believe in the ideology of money printing is bad and inflation is bad and like gold is good and austrian economics is good I think hundred percent of those dollars are now in crypto and they oh. are fully vested in crypto. Oh. Um, it's had enough press, it's been around long enough that those people who have those beliefs are in and they're as in as they're gonna get. Got it. Um and so meaning so the they're so in more, that they can't
1: buy more, like they're nervous. They that can't it's not buy working.
0: more. Correct. Um and so at this point for the price to go up, you need non-ideological dollars to buy. And you need them to buy in size. But Bitcoin is big, it's two hundred and fifty billion dollars. Like it's it's a big asset. So that, that, that's kind of a, the, my, my meta concern is that, turns out the world doesn't care that inflation is gonna go over 2%. Hmm. It turns out sovereigns and pensions don't care. Um, and I don't think that will be true. Like I, I'm, I'm on the Bitcoin and the crypto train, but I think there's some reasonable probability that it just turns out the world says, okay, we're not going to buy a non-productive asset we're going to buy something that yields cash flows bonds yield zero so we're just going to buy more equities
1: see that's <laughs> so good cuz that's what's happening so we don't know when that button what will turn that button off to put people back on crypto but if you look at the printing it's through the fucking roof so this should have been the it's moment crazy. it should have been the moment that maybe and even gold should be running more but i think it, like you're saying people just said fuck it give me the nasdaq 100 at least i get i get somewhat crypto thesis you know edge case but i get cash flow and even yield uh yeah so it's kind of like a perfect storm almost for crypto and against crypto so one more wild prediction or one more prediction that you just feel is got a good chance or interesting
0: um one more good channel I think is interesting. I think that the first major consumer internet company to, to, to do something with crypto that meaningfully impacts the lives of Americans will be Snapchat.
1: Mm. I'm long Snapchat, um, so that's cool. And why them? Every, Just because of the mini apps or because, because why? Because yeah, the age group so, of their user?
0: Part part of it is definitely a group of users. I think Facebook and Libra. Libra is, uh, I, I think, going to have a tough time in America for all, all kinds of reasons. Yes, uh, I'm less bullish on Libra in the immediate term. Um, Twitter. The, the Jack Dorsey has gone on Twitter and written tweet storms yep. saying we need to decentralize Twitter
1: yep.
0: <laughs> and put it in blockchain. Yep. Um, that's an extremely hard technical problem yeah. that they're not even close to solving. Yep. Um, the, this, the use case for Snapchat is of all of them, the easiest to solve, technically. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because everything is, is like peer-to-peer and it's not all running into one big server in the middle. And uh, I think there's something there to do with adding money, some sort of, of natively money thing. And there's a lot of like artists and creatives on there who like, do weird creative things. Um, and so I think some culmination of money and creativity and privacy all can culminate in Snapchat somewhere, somehow. Definitely. and Or like, where, where it's, where it's, where it's a core part of the Snapchat experience.
1: Could be TikTok, too, in, in many ways, other than the China part. But, yeah.
0: I, I would have said TikTok, but the problem is, is like, with Oracle and Walmart, and, like, they're, they have to just rebuild the whole system to get yeah. it out of the Chinese algorithms. And, like, just, there's, there's not going to be – product vision is dead at TikTok. Like, there's going to be no innovation there for two years.
1: Yeah, great point. All right. Well, I think I took enough of your time. That was really helpful. I'm going to have to make this regular uh, because he kept it simple and, like, straightforward. So um, – I appreciate your time. You know, I'm glad you're uh, staying safe there and Austin and awesome taking care of my money. The, um, and can you share how much assets under management? Or it's not, not.
0: Uh... Yeah, we just, whatever we say is just a hundred million plus. Like it, it's, it's too volatile. It's closer to 200 than 100, but hundred plus. Very volatile
1: okay well great job for uh a young hedge fund is it if knowing what you know today do you is it the right angle of attack for you with hedge fund or is it like do you like investing in the private companies more or is it just is it is it what you kind of thought it would be
0: um the hedge fund is much more stressful than the venture fund yep much more stressful
1: i think i told you that
0: yeah i think i think you did we were on a car ride in arizona and i think yeah. i think you did tell me that um but I've learned a lot from from public markets. Um, Isn't this, it uh, amazing
1: what you can learn? Like people just don't get it. Every kid should learn. It's just one of the greatest languages and lessons.
0: Y- yeah, um, it, it's it, it, the amount I've learned about market structure, and again, the fact that it's the unregulated wild, wild west. Like I have to think about things that most of your listeners probably take for granted. And
1: uh-huh. you learn about yourself. <laughs> um, Hello, you learn about yeah. yourself.
0: Yeah, my risk tolerance, and what, what do I really believe, and a whole, whole bunch of other things. Um, so uh, look, I, I enjoy the venture stuff more. Like if I could sit around all day and just ponder about the state of the world in five or 10 years and make some bets, like that's more my my style. But there's a lot to learn in public markets, and a lot of the things we learn from being in the public markets makes us better investors in the private markets.
1: Exactly. Um, in crypto. Exactly, so, so kudos to you. I don't know, I've seen so many people fall by the wayside. Um, in the last three years in this space, so just surviving, uh, a bear market like that and, uh, confusion in the wild West is great. Um, but you got to have fun at it. So hopefully you can continue to also just get some fulfillment from it. But, uh, I think those are some real honest answers about it and I uh, appreciate your time.
0: Howard, thanks for having me on the show. This was a blast. I want to panic more frequently.
1: (laughs) Hopefully we don't panic. I mean, the panic for us was March and the whole idea was not, we really weren't panicked. But I I think there's always better times to panic. And it feels like, I think you made a really great point about Bitcoin. Maybe there's a point here where people should really start thinking about what you just said. Like everybody who needs to be in or thought about this is probably already in. So it might be a better point instead of just rah rah rahing to really think about that, and um, you know you try to uh, keep a level head because really you know panicking doesn't really help. So uh, it, it
0: does not. All
1: right, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again.
0: Hey, thanks. Hey, Howard. One 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 question for you. Sure. Um, sure. Just just while we're on what um, the whole Trump COVID thing, I, I I got a lot of conspiracy theories running through my head about him using this as cover to do some very unconstitutional things uh i'm just curious like how do do you think about how do you think about what's about to go down here are we gonna have a constitutional crisis
1: yeah i think we've been in one you know i think uh my friend barry redhold says you know this was all started back in the bush uh what was cheney it was like we've been in a constant state of this crisis since cheney um i'm not a conspiracy theorist and you know it just depends how smart the people around him i'm like he's just Last guy in the room gets the deal. I don't think he thinks that far in advance. So I'm like worn out. And, uh, you know, I try not to think about it. I mean, the NASDAQ's acting really well, all things considered. I don't think about, you know, I've been talking about the NASDAQ over the spiders for a long time. And uh, so the NASDAQ acts really well. I mean, is that good for the economy? I don't know, right? You know, my life, uh, other than the interactions with people, hasn't changed. So I don't know. I mean, what do you, do you worry about that?
0: Um, I'm, I'm pretty concerned that we're going to have a constitutional crisis. Yeah. Um, that, that, and, and what that means for like the world, um, is like not, not good. Yeah. I think this COVID thing is actually like for him is, is, is like to a large degree I think it's going to be like a source of cover. Oh, it wasn't fair. And, and I, I don't know what, but I can just see him using as that as an excuse to justify any ridiculous thing that he
1: not going to argue with that. I I mean, I just, they've worn me out. I'm hoping that there's uh, smarter people than me and, you know, everybody bears down and gets out to vote. And, to, you know, I think if you hadn't made up your mind, I worry about you as a human, right? Not good or bad. I mean, if you haven't made up your mind uh, and, and you say you haven't seen enough one way or the other, I mean, I don't think I trust you uh, as a person because what the hell is you he waiting for? Like, you know, or you don't know. And so there's not much that should happen now. But, you know, so we kind of know, you know, the people got to get out and vote and we'll see. Um, But you're right. Nothing would surprise me at this point. And I think we've been in a state of constitutional crisis for four years because he doesn't care. You know, people that don't care, they don't look in the rearview mirror. And that's what worries about me. He's not looking in the rearview mirror. He's only looking at the next hour, the next two hours, the next three hours. He's only like bowling. And so those are always scary people because they never look back and see the damage that they cause. And that could be him or anybody that's got that kind of personality. So, so fingers crossed, I guess that means you're kind of rooting for Biden or are you just rooting against Trump.
0: Yeah. I, I'd say I'm rooting against Trump primarily.
1: Yeah. And that's what it's coming down to. It's not, uh, I don't think it's a vote for Biden or against, it's just, just a referendum on Trump that's coming up and we'll see. I have no idea.
0: Uh, agreed. Um, Yeah. So we'll right, I'm we'll ex- looking hours. forward to
1: talking to you offline about this in the next couple of weeks too. So we'll, we'll be chatting. Thanks, man.
0: Oh, all right. Thanks Howard.
1: Cheers. Bye-bye. So there you go. It's not easy. Yeah. You, you got to deal with the markets can and some inanimate object, digital sure. inanimate. It's pretty interesting, right? It's very interesting. I and couldn't I, do it full time cause I don't fully understand it. That's my problem too. The more I hear about it, the less I understand. I really need to just pick up a book or something and, and understand it the book only gets you to what he gave you the history, right? right. You study the history. And then you got to look at the price. You got to stare at the price and you got to understand like his thoughts yeah. about, you know, why isn't it higher? These are from people that like right. are super bullish on Bitcoin, but they have to start, they get self doubt because they go, wait a minute, it's 10 years. Whoever right. won and owned this has had nothing but opportunity to buy it. So exactly. why isn't it higher? Exactly. So I thought that was really interesting. And then the helium thing's pretty cool. I've seen that out in the wild. Right. And, uh, anyways, very, very interesting. Mm. Yeah, new it's frontier stuff. All right, everybody. Panic with friends. Uh, I think I do it. Can you, you're still going to keep doing this? I love doing this. know, yeah. You want to do it? I'd see. I really, I really feel like we're just hitting our stride. But at the same time, I think I fell asleep a little bit in this episode, even though I love Kyle. See, you woke <laughs> me up twice. Yeah. So it's really hard sometimes.
0: I think I'm going to get some
1: M&Ms or something I can throw at you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, intensity of some of the gases, you know, it's what I like in the wide range of uh, expertise. The, um, so crypto, it's very interesting, but still not for me. At some level, it's something that uh, is out there on the frontier. Panic with friends, Canute, Howard, uh, you could subscribe on uh, Spotify, Google, Apple podcasts. You know, we do two a week. So please subscribe. That helps us. You know, you get an alert. You don't have to listen to them all at once or ever. But uh, there's always some, if you like investing, trading, speculating, trend following, markets, uh, smart people, then, you know, we do a good job for people. And if you like what I have to say, Howardlinson.com And uh, you can go to StockTwits, finally, really easily. Uh, Have a great day, Knute, and we'll be back soon.